The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And hello and welcome to IGN's weekly PlayStation show, episode 817. I think last week I said we were 300 episodes earlier. I was wrong. Anyway, I'm Max Scoville and I'm joined today by Jada Griffin, Ryan Altano, and Matt Kim. Hello, everybody. You hello. just like to practice hey. your time travel, Max. That's all. Yes. Time traveling. I don't know. I, I, I feel like maybe maybe being on episode 500 would make me feel like a little bit, you know, me six years younger, like a little bit more sprightly, a little more spring in my step. But, I, you know, a girl can dream. Um, now let's get into this. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Matt, you just reviewed uh, Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty, which is very cool. It's more cyberpunk in the best of ways. But before we get to that, there's actually some real life cyberpunk things going on in our friendly neighborhood dystopia. Uh, it seems like uh, Sony may may have been may have been hacked again. Possibly there is a ransomware group that is claiming to have hacked Sony. Uh, they say that they successfully compromised all Sony systems. They didn't run a spell check on their ransom letter, but they, you know, I feel like, you know, ransom letters are supposed to have like little backwards letters, supposed to cut it up out of newspaper clippings a little bit, you know. They couldn't find bit. the extra E in there. It's fine. Yeah. You know, they were just trying to cut it out of the Wait, the, the magazine. Is, isn't compromised though, like an extra S? They like Yeah, no, they, they went out of their way. They put an extra S in there. What could it be? They mean? wanted to know that they're super serious. Anyway, but super seriously, uh, just for the sake of, cautionary tale like anybody out there if you're listening to this show i'm assuming you have a psn account it probably wouldn't hurt to update your password uh sony hasn't actually like it doesn't sound like they've verified this is a big thing or not but you know it's it's not like sony got on the horn and said hey everybody our our, our stuff got hacked again oops our bad this was uh some people on a dark web forum being like we have hacked sony we have their jpegs and their pdfs to prove it and i, I don't know where this is going to go but uh hey. They yeah. said that they tried to sell the data back to Sony and Sony was like, no, we don't want it probably because they already have it or whatever. And then <laughs> these guys were like, we don't need to. Oh, yeah, well, then we're going to uh, st step three question marks, step four profit or whatever. It's like <laughs> yeah. the, the underwear thing from South Park. But um, yeah, I immediately went to go change my password. And that was fun because like when you try to do that on on the PlayStation website, you get this like weird captcha and mine at first was like identify all the motorcycles and it was like one motorcycle that looked like it had fallen asleep in a in a bunch of towels i didn't <laughs> understand i don't know if it was like ai generated and the next thing was uh it was a picture of somebody doing two fingers and then there was a frog and you had to rotate the frog so he was facing the same direction 
as the two fingers. And I was like, I love that one. I think I yeah, got a, a good deer. Yeah. I think I got like a deer or a doe or something for that okay. one. Uh, yeah, yeah it was like it's a, it was a weird panic thing, and also have to like finger the frog to figure out you, how to change my. I was like, Ryan, you like, texted me a screenshot of that, and I was really confused because like it was you know it was like six thirty in the morning or whatever, and our friend was like, "Oh, could everyone change your passwords? Get on that." And you're like, "I'll get right on that after I'm done fingering this frog's beehole." <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were playing some Switch game or something. Like I didn't I mean, know. What yeah, you were Nintendo doing lets anything on the eShop. Now. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know some hot new indie it's title. One of those, all the... it, you know, it's one of those. What what is it? Touch the mayo. The one everyone was getting all the, all the yeah. platinum trophies on yeah it was oh, that, no that was the max played it it was uh stroke the parrot <laughs> <laughs> yeah cool. that was a game well uh, um you know, finger the frog is available on psn right now right now there's no trophies you just it's it's super easy to beat i know you guys doesn't even cost games. anything <laughs> yeah I would, I would honestly love an indie game that's just like a warrior where full of captures you know just yep. like I, I feel like there's an entire aesthetic that goes with that and like someone's gonna jump on that at some point and make something very weird but mm -hmm. uh I don't know. It's a nice little art form in and of itself. Yeah, uh, change, we change always the password. To, if, yeah. if you see the frog, you know, tweet at us. Show us the frog. Show us oh, where you put the fingers. Yeah. Go do stuff to the frog and change your password, and everyone will have a great time, and the security will be saved, I guess. Anyway, that was our serious news part. Let's talk about Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty, a gigantic kick-ass expansion to a gigantic, finally kick-ass game. Uh, I feel like this is a funny situation because... Uh, CDPR, in addition to putting out like the big, huge, here's the new content, they also dropped update 2.0, which was really tweaking a lot of old content and really going back and adjusting a lot of the stuff that kind of the game already was. And it's, uh, I'm, tr I'm trying to think of the last time a, a, a company has done this, you know, like typically it's, it's kind of funny because I keep sort of, I mean, I'm playing sort of Baldur's Gate in parallel and I feel like it's, it's a little bit like when a, when a game comes out of early access and gets a bunch of new stuff on top of what was already there that early adopters are familiar with and they're like we've changed a bunch of stuff there's a bunch of new stuff too but in this case they're like yeah we added you know like a car car, car hacking and and uh to totally new skill trees and all sorts of new stuff and it's it's if you're jumping back into it alongside the you know alongside the expansion it's kind of hard to keep track of what you know what's for the sake of the expansion and what's something that just people got for free uh mm -hmm. matt you can speak to this better than i can you reviewed it you gave it a nine out of ten the expansion not the update i don't think we review updates yet but uh yeah, tell tell us about it. Uh, yeah, I did. I did review it, and uh, yeah, just to, like just like briefly touch on it. The two point thing. The biggest change for people who just want like a TLDR for it is like the skill tree has been like completely revamped. Uh, for the for the whole for the game, so like it doesn't matter if you have Phantom Liberty or not. Like you have a new skill tree, and it just fee it just makes more sense. I remember when the game first came out, and I was just putting points into skill trees, being like. I think this maybe does what I want it to, but then maybe it won't. So who's to say? And then this one is just like, you want to be a hacker, put your skills in here. You want to be a big, strong guy, put your skills in here. You want to do stealth. You know, it's just way more clear cut and it's way easier to to mess around and, and create a build that, that like suits you. And like it's and you can respec at any time, which totally makes sense in universe, right? Because you're a half Android robot thing. You should be allowed to change your skills and abilities whenever you want. So it's great. Um, and then he also added uh, uh, shooting out of a car, a thing that I have not used a single time since it's come out. I've just, <laughs> I just, they tell you you can have vehicle combat, and I just have not used it. I, it, and I was kind of expecting it to show up at some point, and it, it, it's fine. But Phantom Liberty is completely separate, and you do have to pay for that one. And it's a like separate story, but like they do that Dark Souls thing, and I guess technically The Witcher Three also did it, but they do it where you just like. They just like insert it into the main game 
and at a certain point it just unlocks for for you and so you just like get a phone call they'll be like hey come check out this weird thing in Dogtown, and that is your cue to like enter this entire like 20 hour dlc uh which was uh cdpr says it's a spy story and at first when i heard that i was like how are well, like why is it a spies and cyberpunk i'm not really sure how that how that goes hand in hand uh but it absolutely works like it's it's great uh the president of the NUSA, which you have to look up if you're if you're not familiar with the tabletop RPG, uh, crash lands into Dogtown, which is a uh, a independent neighborhood within Night City, which is in and of itself an independent city in America. It's all very convoluted but very cool. And the president like crash lands in there, and then the the secret agent who is their detail uh, finds you and he's like, "Hey V, uh, are you ready to save the president of America of, of the NUSA?" And you're just like, "Yeah, sure, okay." Cool. Are you a bad Man. enough dude? Are you a bad enough dude to save Are you a the sneak president? enough Pliskin to do some sneaking and Pliskin? <laughs> yeah, like it's a hundred percent escape from escape from New York. Uh, you know, and very then the escape from LA basketball scene too, which is yeah, great. it's awesome. A lot of lot of lot of that, you know, like secret, you know, secret, and you know, it's a spy story, right? So like, it's not spoilers to say there's going to be double crossings and like weird allegiances, and you never really know who to trust at the end of the day. And um and it it yeah I wasn't really sure how they were gonna pull it off and by the end of it I was like that was that was pretty amazing um Idris Elba goes a long way to re because he's he's big spy he's he's solid snake in this universe and his performance is like one of those things where you like really want to trust him at all times but you he's also good. know yeah. but you also know that he's the number one spy in cyberpunk and so you're always just sort of in the back of your mind being like. I want to trust you, like I really do, and you're really convincing, and you're really cool, Idris Elba. But like, can I? And you know, that's a question that is gonna, you know, that's gonna he's, haunt you. How, how do you, awesome. how do you, how do you learn that he's the number one spy? Does he wear a shirt? Like, does he like go around yelling it? Like Archer he has a little like... trophy he carries. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's Constantly the first thing he shows you him. when you meet him. He just in the jumps game. out and just like scares you a lot. You don't see him. <laughs> yeah. You're like ah. No, he's he's like his performance is fantastic. His character model is just him with yeah. some cyberware and like it was like the first time you get in a car with him he's driving around and i found myself like he was talking to me and i i just turned the camera and i was just looking at him the whole time and i'm like oh this is so cool i'm sitting in the car with idris elba and i was, <laughs> and I was like oh yeah we, i should probably look around this this whole awesome city that they built and like all these new areas and it's beautiful and gorgeous and they added all this new fresh coat of paint but i'm sitting there and i'm like yeah but i'm in a car with the idris elba from the wire this rules it's all like secondary to idris elba you don't look yes. at any if you're in a car with idris elba you don't look at anything but idris elba Brian. exactly yeah exactly that's why that lion kept trying to get in his car in that movie about the lion <laughs> i think it's a it's a really cool fit that they got him for this because in this sort of in the same way that like Keanu has this cyberpunk, uh, you know, repertoire of like, you know, he was in Johnny Mnemonic and the Matrix, and he's just like a good fit for Johnny Silverhand. Like, it kind of makes sense, even if it is a little distracting that it's Keanu. In this case, like, Idris in a lot of people's heads is like, yeah, he would be a killer James Bond, and he's like, I'm not going to be James Bond. I'm not, you know, that, that's that's fine. But you know, he's kind of moved on from that idea, and this is kind of letting him be, you know, letting him be James Bond in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but yeah, Matt, uh, tell us about some of the sort of the new, I guess the, the new additions, like what, what does this bring to the, the story aside from like a story? I mean, what are the, what are the kind of, uh, what does this expand upon? So, okay. So the main, the main thing is that if you, if you get this expansion, you will just have a straight up new area to explore called Dogtown. And it's one of those things where like, regardless of, you know, the, the 
whether you liked it or not, I think we all agree that like Night City might be one of the best video game locations in the last like 10 years. Like it's no one has made an open world quite like it. And night like Dogtown just adds a whole new area with a bunch of new side quests and a bunch of like extra things to do and to explore and just to appreciate. And it's like, that's the main thing that you get with this expansion. There are like specific items and weapons and and clothes that you can get but they're kind of like not why you would spend thirty dollars on an expansion right like but having a whole new area to explore night city is is a pretty good reason plus also i like honestly it's just a story which is really good how are the side quests because i feel like you know the story is always pretty solid in cdpr but the side quests are just like the best yeah i feel like they did uh, they like went back like found what works and what doesn't work in the original game and then just sort of like like narrowed in on like the good stuff and so you do the same thing where there's a fixer who oversees dogtown and he's like hey v i've got a job for you can you uh help out these you know two dumb cops escape this gangster or can you help uh rescue this uh arms dealer or something like that and so that's sort of the thing that they you know the it's in the base game too, but it's here too. Um, but one thing that I really like is I feel like not all of them, but I feel like most of these missions end with like a big decision that can impact how the story plays out afterwards. There's kind of like always an epilogue and it always sort of depends on what a B route you choose. At the so end. you, you told me about like the dumb cop one, uh, we, we, I don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil the choices and stuff. But I'm you. Basically, I was like halfway through it. Like I did like one step of the of the mission, and you were like, "Oh, dude, that one's got a killer ending." And I don't think it had a killer ending. I think I might have screwed what? something up, and I got the no. bad ending. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I got involved a bunch of hot dogs. I don't know if that's the one that you got. Did you get the hot dog ending? Because I got that the sounds hot like dog. A perfect ending for you, Max. You love hot dogs. I personally like it, but I was expecting something uh, a little bit more convoluted. You know, I don't know. So that's that's the ending ending. My favorite part of that was actually like the, the, the final face-off in the garage. And that can play out like three different ways. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I had the best time with. Okay, that's that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's 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 funny because, and I, I always forget this about sort of how, you know, CDPR approaches this. And this is really what, this is when I think it's like, it's hammering hardest on being like a proper role-playing game where you can you can fail something and then proceed. And like, you can fail a side quest and there's something that's so frustrating about that when it's not like, you know, it's not like you shoot the wrong person or it's not like you just die during the mission. It's like you, you just say the wrong thing. And then someone's like, well, I say good day to you. And they go along and it's like, you fail this mission. Like mm -hmm. I, there's, there's one where you have to basically, you have to convince this like celebrity to come help you with something. And you know, there's one way where you can be like, Hey, I can make you rich. I got a great new deal. I got an offer. You'd be great for the part. Or you could be like, hey, my friend really needs some help. Will you come help? And she's like, I'm not a nun. I'm not going to help you. Get out of here. And then it's just like, you failed. And I was like, oh, I tried to appeal to her in a better <laughs> sense. And then I went back and looked. And there's basically, you get a text message from somebody who gives you like sort of a kind of characterizes her. And it's like, hey, she's, she, she loves money. She's kind of a jerk, you know? And it's like, had I read that in advance, it would have been very clearly like, oh, that's not the, that's not the right course of action to take. But. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I love that kind of stuff. Um, again, it's it's. I want to I want to have a larger conversation about this when I've when I fully finished Phantom Liberty and probably taken a bigger chunk out of Baldur's Gate. But like, I'm comparing the two because they both came out right next to each other. They're both based on tabletop games. They are mm -hmm. both massive sprawling things that have effectively had uh, 
you know, three years respectively to figure their stuff out, but they're both doing something completely different. Uh, and I think it's really, it's kind of a hard adjustment because like, there's obviously like some very deep role-playing systems in cyberpunk, but at the same time, there's also some very, uh, I don't know, there's some Far Cry, like there's some GTA, like there's some much more surface level experiences. And there's also, uh, I feel like a much more, you know, maybe a, there's a more sort of cinematic stylized story, but it's a lot more kind of walled off. Like there's there's things that the game really wants to tell you, whereas Baldur's Gate is kind of like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do here? You can do whatever mm -hmm. you want. Like, uh, I mean, I feel like Cyberpunk is is very much uh, F around and Baldur's Gate is very much find out. And it's like, <laughs> you know, that's the best way I could put it. Um, and I, I, it's been an adjustment. And I, I remember this is like a, I remember having a similar feeling going from playing uh, Fallout 3 into Red Dead Redemption a million years ago mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. being weirdly frustrated that you couldn't pick up everything in the game. And like, that's not a fair complaint by a long shot. And like, they're, they're both phenomenal open world games doing entirely different things. They both have a lot of dusty, dirty stuff everywhere. They're both kind of old timey. Uh, but it's you know they're they're it, those are those are totally different games but in this case like Baldur's Gate and Cyberpunk are like there's a lot of similar DNA there and it's just kind of bizarre to sort of see how they've how they've deviated um and it's i don't know i guess it's also my 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 playstyle has been i think more more experimental this time around like when i played mm. Cyberpunk the first mm -hmm. time i was like yeah i'll do i'll do some stealthy far cry stuff i'll shoot some people i'll try to be sneaky i didn't really bother with hacking too much like a tiny bit and this time i'm pumping all of my points into uh, intelligence and uh, what technical facility or whatever it's called, um, and just messing with quick hacks and trying to like, trying to just kind of walk in and not even draw a gun, just like, just fry mm. everybody on the spot. And it's a it's an interesting experience because it's still very combat forward, mm -hmm. um, but it feels in that sense it feels almost kind of puzzly, like it feels a little bit like Hitmanish, where you're like you're kind of setting a setting a bunch mm -hmm. of things into into action, right? Uh, but then if you screw up, like if it kind of backfires, it just goes full action. There's not really like a, you know, there are options to sort of like, oh, like you can, you can get out of discovery. I feel like it's a much more pass fail approach to stealth. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not pass fail because you can weasel your way out of a situation. But like once you're discovered, just it's kind of all systems blaring and everyone's just shooting at you. And it's sort of like, okay, well, now I just shoot people in the head. So I haven't messed around in the expansion or the 2.0 yet, but I've heard that the like the hacking and net running stuff is actually is harder to do like slash worse just because of like your RAM overheats and doesn't regenerate as fast apparently with the updates. I haven't tested this myself, but I'm just going on comments I've read and you know all of our pieces, our review and stuff like that. That's what it sounded like because I that's how I played the first playthrough. Max, how you're describing it's like I went full. Netrunner, full hacking. I was just triggering cyber psychosis and everybody in the battle, and they were just fighting. They would kill each other, <laughs> and then I would just walk up and kill whoever was left. Um, Matt, um, or uh, Matt, or any of you guys who have has that? Have you guys noticed any kind of difference in that? Uh, no. So one of the things I think is that maybe it might be because it's a departure from uh, pre two point But like you, like in order to not overheat your ram or over over overclock yourself that's all in the new skill tree and which is easy to find right and so you'll find parts in your skill tree that's like this is where you overclock and it's also they've done away with um stats in clothing and so now it's all in your what's it called cybernetics or whatever whatever they call it in universe and so you go in order to like increase your ram you go to a ripper dock and you buy more ram and it's very like straightforward in that sense like it makes more sense i think right it's like it used to be how do you get more ram 
and the set game was kind of like mm-hmm. eh, maybe if you mm-hmm. do some of these things but now it's very much like how do i get more ram i either increase my intelligence stats or i go to a ripper dock and buy I more like, i like it a lot better as opposed to being like these pants make you smarter it's like yeah was, i'm i'm yeah. so glad they got rid of that i like I'm, I'm actually pretty over that in in most games um because i'd just much rather wear the cool stuff i want to wear and then worry about stats elsewhere like it's mm-hmm. You know, like I, I find myself in a lot of games, like I'll like just end up in one costume for the entire game because of stat reasons. Um, like Liza P did a cool thing, the same, same deal where it was just like, oh, your costumes don't really have an effect on your stats. Your weapons do, but like, you know, wear the donkey mask for 25 hours. Who cares? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I dig that. Yeah, I, it's like it's interesting because it's like I I'm I'm and again, like that's what's kind of awesome about this game is I'm I'm playing it just straight up like guns out action game shooter blow stuff up, shoot people in the head, like getting little perks and rewards for headshots and like using weapons a certain way and a certain amount of time. And I'm, I'm, you know, uh, switching out guns for better ones. And like, you know, there's, there's some melee stuff I'm doing, but like when I played the base game, which I played literally up until like the final elevator door, like I just didn't go up and then I walked away from the game for a few years. Um, I played that entire game with a, a katana blade and I was just chopping people up and it was super fun. And this time around, I'm like, let me play it like a shooter. Like, let me, let me, cause that's how I play Far Cry games, right? Like there's a little bit of stealth, but um, I, I was like, let me just run around and shoot stuff. And it totally, is, it's totally working for me. I feel like the, like little things that, they, that they've tweaked and um, IGN has an awesome video that our guides team put up that was basically like, here's all the, the updates and here's all the things that are improved in, uh, in, in the 2.0 update. Um, like all the big changes, the, the driving feels, so much better and it's weird because like i've i've seen people say it feels more like gta which i guess like it, it feels like the cars have like a little bit of a swing to them um not mm-hmm. so hard as like gta 4 where like everything kind of felt like very wiggly but gta 5 like i feel like they kind of locked in the vehicle controls in that game and i i it definitely feels like they lifted a little bit of that here or at least just like tweaked it in the right direction because like riding around on a motorcycle like feels legitimately good in this game going like top speed zipping around a corner and stuff like that doing like little power slide stuff like the the guns handle super well like there's all all that i really really love i have like some frustrations with like some of the mission design and some of the stuff that's like sort of built around like you know there's like right now we're looking at a a boss fight that happens early on and there's some like very bizarre checkpointing that happens with that Mm. where like he can kind of one hit you or it can one hit you and then you'll have to restart and go through all the cinematics all over again which is like a little annoying but you know it's that some games like have that push and pull they don't know exactly where you know where to land on that but i I feel like in general everything here just feels a little bit better and like you know as as it should like this is this is the game that they they said was the game they were making or coming out three years ago and like famously on playstation you couldn't buy cyberpunk for like a full, what was it, eight months, a year or something like that, they delisted the game from PSN, which is unheard of. Like we we started the show joking about garbage ass games on PSN that people get the trophies in, like, you know, Spank the Mayo or whatever. And like, <laughs> that, that game's up there forever. It's been up there for like 10 years, like, you know? Uh, and so like, I, I'm, I'm glad they did their victory lap. They do get a little kick in the ass for, you know, having to do this to begin with. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, I that said like, I would rather see a success story where a game goes on and grows and changes. Like Max, at the at the top of the show, you were kind of talking about like recent examples of games that done this. Um, 
obviously no man's sky is the big one mm -hmm. fallout 76 was another one that like was historically just kind of not where people wanted it to be on launch day and turned around and become one of the biggest successes for bethesda like that's that's a game that has millions of players actively still and you know i bounced off of it but like redemption arc they, mm -hmm. they they found something there they you know they, they they kept cooking with the right ingredients and they found something and so like i don't know props to them for that like you know i again i will scold them for screwing up on launch day and especially on playstation like sony stepped in and was like no we're not selling this right now it's busted mm -hmm. as hell i mean xbox they is turned... the same thing it was it's wild yeah. that that was the case <clears throat> i mean it's yeah, I have like a really, I have a very complicated relationship with this game. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I think I like it, but there's like a bunch of other factors at play where like, I, I don't know, I definitely felt burned by like when it, when it first came out, because the one thing was I had like a brand new PS5 and I was like, Hey, cool. Finally, a big, huge next gen game to play on that. And then you squint a little bit and you're like, wait a second, this is still <laughs> a PS4 game. That's just yeah. getting a little boost from, and like, I don't know, there was some, there was a sort of sense of buyer's remorse to go with that. And this time around it has, uh, a potentially even distracting use of the DualSense controller. Like it's kind of wild how much stuff it's doing there. Uh, like if you're if you're like whacking people in the face with a baseball bat, it's just like it's like ding dong dong ding dong dong. Like it's just <laughs> vibrating in your hands. <laughs> Whenever anybody calls you, they're just like yelling at you through the controller. And I'm like, all right, you get okay, you like calm it? down. I, I, I like I, that. You like that? I also like, I like it. it when people call me through the controller because you know, um, like anytime you know, this is another game we're gonna talk about later but resident evil 4 anytime i get a call like i pick my controller and put it right next to my ear like it's a walkie-talkie like i'm actually like talking to somebody you hold it sideways even... like a nokia yeah. engage or a banana yeah, phone seriously, it's like, yeah. hello like... i don't even answer my actual phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> um no because it's weird i i picked the ps4 or the, i guess the playstation version of cyberpunk to begin with uh when you know we we're all given that that choice of which of these busted ass last gen versions of this game are you going to buy on day one? Because um, I was like, I don't want to play this on PC. I want, I want like, I knew that, I knew this game was going to get updates for years and I knew like it was going to get a PS5 version eventually. So like I played the long game and I was like, well, eventually like this is going to have a bunch of like really awesome DualSense features. And then fast forward like a year or two into the, the, the PlayStation 5's life and I was like, I'm gonna just turn that stuff off. It's annoying me, but um, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you guys dig it because that's like it's literally the reason I bought. I bought it on on PlayStation to begin with. Yeah, no, um, it's it, it's funny though because like the I think a lot of it is also expectation and reality. And like I I love cyberpunk, like the the genre. Like that's it's yeah. maybe my favorite corner of fiction pop culture. Period. Like I adore it, and it, I had you know a decade plus worth of hype for this game. Like I was. Was it a decade? Yeah, no, it was a lot of time. It was like yeah. when they, I, I, like, I got excited about The Witcher because they announced they were making this game, and then The Witcher, you know, story speaks for itself. Understandably, you'd have high expectations after playing The Witcher, and then being like, okay, here's their next thing. And if you look at the jump from, you know, The Witcher Two to The Witcher Three, what's the jump from The Witcher Three to Cyberpunk? And, you know, fast forward three years after launch, I'd say we're around there, but it's still, uh, there's a sort of depth to it that I, I wish, I wish was there. And like, if you approach mm -hmm. it as a fast paced action game, if you approach it as a, you know, as a far cry, Brian, to your point, like mm -hmm. if I had done that, I think I would have had a much better time, but I was hoping yeah. for, I don't know what I was hoping. I was hoping for something a little bit. I mean, it's this again, not fair. I found out about Baldur's Gate like a few months ago. Like I was, <laughs> I, I think I was hoping for that kind of experience where you can just really like really get lost in your character. And it's like that, that is simulating the experience of playing a tabletop game. And I don't think you can fault me for expecting a game based on the tabletop game to try to do that, like Cyberpunk is doing. But at the same time, it also is clearly, um, you know, it's it's trying to make itself like relevant. It's trying to be like a, a like a 
not just for tabletop nerds. Like they want to make something that appeals mm-hmm. to more casual gamers too. And I use the word casual very loosely, but I mean the kind of game where you can more hold mainstream, and somebody. not yeah, casual, mainstream, but like more mainstream, mainstream yeah. audience. Yeah, you can drive play, a, the people who play Call of Duty and GTA and stuff like that. Like, like that's I, not a yeah, it's not yeah. a bad idea to swing for that audience because that audience is massive and they spend mm-hmm. a lot of money on things that they love and they want they want to shoot things and blow stuff up and. <laughs> This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash POBeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash POBeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I used to also like, I used to kind of also be that audience. Um, I think there was a level where I was like, I was like, oh, turn-based, get out of here. I don't want turn-based combat. That's boring. Reading stuff. No, thank you. And it's like, I wanted, I, I think that's what appealed so much to, to me about like Skyrim and and Fallout 3 at the time. Like I had a buddy who was super into Fallout 1 and 2 and he also liked 3, but he's like, no, man, Fallout 2, that's, that's the one you got to do. And I remember just like seeing him play that and I was like, 
compared to Fallout 3, get out of here. Are you kidding me? No, thank you. You can't even run, a, you can't run around. You can't shoot people in the face in mm -hmm. real time. No, thank you. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Put a grenade in somebody's yeah, pocket yeah. for it to explode. Yeah, taste change. Uh, I, it's a that's yeah. a whole yeah. yeah it's a different sure. different experience. But yeah, like again, uh, these are this is on me. These are my expectations mm -hmm. of of this game, and I'm trying to make peace with it. The other thing is, it's also, it's, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna say dumb cyberpunk, but I want to say it's more on the satirical end than the crunchy hard sci-fi end. And there's hard sci-fi stuff in there. They crib a lot of stuff from William Gibson and Neil Stevenson and all that. But there's also stuff that feels like it it it's on the it's on the cusp of something like Saints Row or Idiocracy, where it's just mm -hmm. like it's 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 a lampoon of American culture in a lot of ways. Yes. Which again, cyberpunk has this sort of inherent uh, you know, satirical bent to it. But like I kind of like it from a from an almost like I don't know, like this is I, I like like William Gibson's books, the way he writes, it's like walking into a room and picking up everything and looking at it closely. Like there's a certain level of like attention to detail and world building to like the most granular uh subtle things and it's about mm -hmm. like in this game where you like shoot 15 people and then uh take all of their machine guns and then break the machine guns down and sell them for parts or whatever and it's the fact that everyone just has guns constantly like i had a like an eight-year-old girl waving a gun in my face and being <laughs> like give me a thousand dollars and i'll tell you where the power transistor is and i'm like mm -hmm. okay here you go and she's like i tell you where, where it's near but i'm not gonna tell you where it is and she's just like like just waving a gun around willy-nilly and i'm like that is you know that is kind of a fair assessment of like american culture that's a little bit over the top but i'll take it uh but again like it's on it's on me it's my expectation and i'm trying to have fun with it there's also stupid things where i want i want cyberpunk to be a reflection of uh you know our our existing society like there's a gibson quote the future's already here it's just not evenly distributed in this case it's kind of a paleofuturism where like this is rooted in, the, in a cyberpunk future that was introduced in like 1983 or five or whenever Mike Pondsmith created the game. And it's funny because back then, like, I, you know, they had to ac account for smartphones and stuff. But the fact that this is a game where you can't call an Uber or a cab, like there's a whole thing about robot cars in there, but you can't just call a car to come drive you someplace, which is wild to me. And you, you can't just like pull out your phone and find out where the nearest bus stop is. You have to discover it in person, which is like, that's video gamey stuff. That's like, that's, that's part of the experience. And I they, you know, they don't want you to fast travel everywhere because they want you to experience this incredible world they've built. But on a certain level, I'm like, man, this is really an accurate representation of futuristic dystopian California, where it kind of sucks to drive because of traffic. And it also sucks to take public transit because of infrastructure and I guess, you know, a robot car would be a nice, a nice alternative too. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want, yeah. I want to talk forward. about one thing about cyberpunk that I feel like will take a couple of years to look back on. But like, the reason why cyberpunk, you know, happened the way it did in twenty in twenty twenty when it came out was because CDPR kind of set themselves up to fail, right? Like we all remember that forty minute deep dive video that they published where they're like, and the clothes you wear will change your interactions. And all of these NPCs have like full day and night cycles and, yeah. and all these things. And none of that was in the final game, right? And what that ended up leading to is I think like a weird, like we're now, I feel like in the most honest time of video game PR that we've been in, in a long time. Uh, CDPR is very upfront about what they're going to do, what their plans are, given that they've already announced a new Witcher game and, and various studios to work on Witcher spinoffs. And the thing about like studio, like game companies are now being like, hey, we have a live stream tomorrow. Do not expect 
the last of us video game news we are not mm-hmm. going to talk about that like and that and that's all because of like player expectation got way too high because it was created by like Un- untenable marketing cycles and marketing beats and things like Matt, that. Matt, that's that's not entirely fair because they they put up a new T-shirt today that has a clicker on it <laughs> and it says Pearl Jam above it. So, oh, you're you right. know, <laughs> like I'm I'm glad you're all sitting down because that's you know that's some big stuff. I know that they might make a sequel one day or another season of the show, but for now they put a band's name on a, one of the villains from the game. <laughs> Maybe that we'll get a enough. Pearl Jam T-shirt next Thank you. year. But no, you're Jam. you're you're totally right. Like, and I think that like some people would probably like hear hear that statement you just made about like the the sort of transparency and honesty that game devs have with the audience now, and maybe wince at it because there's obviously some uh, examples of that not being the case. But you're 100 percent correct that like they are constantly setting expectations of what not to expect. Like even we have to read the code words on every playstation showcase and nintendo direct and like they're like we're mostly focusing on third party indie software happening between fall and winter of this quarter and um stuff that you also stuff you already know about and then i'll also psvr too you're like okay okay (laughs) thank you you're like so and it's just that uh dumb and dumber meme where you're like so you're saying there's a chance right um and I think a lot of times now, like games launch, like we just noticed it with Payday this week. Um, may, and, and same thing with uh, uh, Party Animals. Like games launch, they have major server issues. They get review bombed, and the devs have to come out and be like, "Hey, we're working on it. We're sorry. We know we're, you know, we're we're, we're trying to be honest with you. We're trying to be transparent." Even like with the Unity stuff recently, all those uh, rectangular JPEGs went up with paragraphs in them. Uh, many of them, uh, you know, filled with <laughs> expletives <laughs> being like, this sucks for us. Like, I, I really appreciate that because I feel like that's very different than like, I don't know, the era of PR we grew up in in the 90s, where it was like a video game ad that was just like, John Carmack will kick you in the dick, <laughs> you know, shit like that. Or like, or, you know, uh, what's his name working on Fable being like, if you plant a tree in this game and you come back three weeks later. Peter like, Molyneux, we'll yeah. Fruit. Yeah, yep. exactly. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of that and there'll still be some of that. Like No Man's Sky is still, you know, a, only a couple of years old. They turned that game around for the most mm-hmm. part. Same with, uh, same with Cyberpunk. But like, I do appreciate that happening now. I do appreciate the honesty. Because I think in 2020, the story was like very nakedly like, hey, uh, our investors at the top of the above this company who, who probably would hold video game controllers upside down in stock photos if asked to um want this game out right now and i think there was probably a lot of people being like but it's not ready yet yeah like sorry no. put the game out you know and so, also like i i feel bad because like our you know our job is to talk about this stuff and if there's yeah. problems we're going to address it but it's a nuanced issue and i like i don't the the devs they like you don't make something like this if you if you don't give a shit you know like this yeah. is mm-hmm. this is very much like if this game were strictly made for investors it would probably be more of a call of duty clone but it's still based on a like a you know crunchy ass hardcover tabletop player's handbook and it's i don't know it, it again like this game probably should have been delayed three years like it it, right. it comes down to the investors and it's hilarious in that sense because like this is a game where you can like generally it's all about like sticking it to the corporations but then <laughs> by dropping this game immensely prematurely like it, this corporation's kind of stuck it to players a little bit and like we made the game you know right credit where credit is due right like i think there's a there's an alternate future here where if the game company took all the wrong lessons from like the 
the bad days of PR that we alluded to, right? They could have been like, sorry, this is our bad. The game didn't turn out you know, quite, quite to our standards. But get ready for 2078, where we're promising double the stuff, triple the map, four times the story, five times the excitement, right? And just don't worry about our current game. You can buy it still, but just think about the sequel and pre-order now, right? Like yes. that was... Yeah the bad version of what they could have done instead they just were like we're sorry we you know we know that we this game didn't reach your standards we're gonna work on it like for now until the next three years to get it to a place that we're happy with and that you Mm -hmm. will finally enjoy and they actually did it and that is like not something that would have happened in the video game industry in like 2002 you know no no for sure not i mean well also because like if you shipped like a a GameCube disc in 2002, like you could you couldn't patch it or anything. Right. <laughs> like you'd have to mail it back. Uh, you know, PS2 games were just like, oh no, it's stuck. Um, but like, let's let's like you know, let's call this what this is. Like this is this is absolutely uh, like dedication from the devs. These this is a hardworking team of passionate people that turned this game around. But they were only able to do that because this game sold millions of copies in an unfinished state in 2020. And yep. that money directly and those profits directly correlated to a longer lead time on development to fix the game and finally reach the potential of what it what it had to be. And not a lot of studios are awarded that that sort of like level of, of leniency. Like a lot of them are basically mm-hmm. just like, hey, we ran out of money. We shipped the game. Gun to our head was like, we have to publish the game right now. Uh, like Max and I were talking about uh, in, in one of our meetings a couple of weeks ago, there was there was a I'm, I'm forgetting the name of him. But there was a solo dev that worked on like a hand drawn game for like four years and the publisher just put it out before it was done and he didn't have any say in it. And it was just like, hey, this sucks. I, you know, this, my story is over now. Like, this is not the story I wanted to tell. And like that happened a little bit in 2020 with Cyberpunk. But then the game went on to sell millions and millions of copies, was immensely successful despite all the problems, despite being delisted on multiple shops. and. That money was used to fund the 2.0 update and the expansion, and they turned it all around. And if you're coming in on day one for this game and you get to play it for the first time, then like, man, you're getting an awesome experience. Mm-hmm. But like, that experience existed because a lot of people paid for a sort of unfinished product in 2020. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I'm, I, if you are just now considering playing this game for the first time, <clears throat> do it. Like, it's a yeah. great game. Uh, in spite of all my dorky ass nitpicks, like I. It's a it's a phenomenal game and it's it's definitely in a state where it is worth playing for sure, no questions asked. Uh, you know, assuming you're playing it on a high end PC or a next gen console, that's kind of the the, the yeah. big caveat. Uh, you can't you can't even play the expansion on last gen, which is yeah an interesting kind of twist, little wrinkle there. I'm so so used to that being the standard. We're like, oh, if the game came out, it gets DLC on that platform. But uh, I think yeah. we're going to see a bit more of that moving forward. Uh, now, I want to talk a little bit about Resident Evil in a second, but before we do that, I want to talk about cyberpunk uh, fiction, media, stuff like that. I'm a huge fan of cyberpunk. I adore it. I inhale it. I've I've read and watched and consumed so much of it, and uh, playing through Phantom Liberty just reminded me of a bunch of stuff that I love and adore, so I figured I could kind of share that with our viewers and listeners. Uh, if you're looking for something to you know throw on as an audiobook or something to throw on in the background, uh, here, here we go. Uh, start first things first, William Gibson, the uh, so-called godfather of cyberpunk, wonderful science fiction author, a bit crunchy, a bit hard to get into. I highly recommend Burning Chrome, which is a collection of short stories, which contains Johnny Mnemonic, which was then turned into a film. Uh, one of it's, I think it was his first sort of thing in the Neuromancer universe that was published, but cyberpunk borrows so, so much from this. It's, it's about, uh, somebody who's got like, uh, 
chip chip stuck in their head. They got data. They got to get rid of it. Uh, there's a bunch of other very weird kind of uh, stories in there that are. I don't think they're all set in the same universe, but it's it's a similar approach to futuristic storytelling, uh, and it's it's very cool. Uh, Johnny Mnemonic the movie is not a perfect movie by any means, but it is uh, it is a fun it is a fun watch. Um, the one thing that I, I believe uh, Phantom Liberty specifically borrows really heavily from this is the they have a thing in there called like the pit, which is basically a whole sectioned off city where there's a you know the, the cops don't go there people don't go there it's a whole like it's its own little enclave uh and this this movie has that i think like i think it's like ice i think ice tea's up there or ice cube i can't no not ice cube it's i think it's ice tea but i get it mixed up when he's a kangaroo and tank girl which came out the, i think the same year anyway uh johnny mnemonic is cool uh another william gibson story i love is a virtual light which is I would say a lot more accessible than Neuromancer and some of his earlier stuff. This is maybe my favorite of his. In this case, uh, the entire San Francisco Bay Bridge has been uh, basically wrecked by an earthquake. And so people move on to it and create their own city, not unlike Dogtown. And it's pretty much like the kind of thing where, uh, you know, the cops don't go there and the government doesn't mess with it and people are kind of scared of it. And then uh, it's a bit yeah, about I like can, one. Can't imagine that in San Francisco, <laughs> dude. This book is honestly it is it is uh, extremely bittersweet to read this while living in the Bay Area in this day and age because it's uh it's got a lot of a lot of, a lot of similarities there. A lot of you know low low life, high tech, uh, you know gross disparity between uh, classes and all that. Speaking of which, Neil Stevenson, another phenomenal cyberpunk writer. Uh, he's known very well for Snow Crash, which I highly recommend. The Diamond Age is one that I. The whole the whole idea of of, uh, of the the brain dance stuff in cyberpunk borrows really heavily from this, where it's uh, people kind of doing like telepresent performances. Uh, this one is bizarre because it's very uh, it's kind of Dickensian, like it's almost written like a Charles Dickens story about like you know Tale of Two Cities that kind of thing. Except it's in the extremely cyberpunk future, and there's a bunch of uh, very very weird stuff going on, like a lot of interesting approach to technology, basically. Uh, I think a, a girl finds like a it, like a hitchhiker's guide type device that's like, here's how you survive in the world. Let me help you with everything. And then adventures ensue. Uh, but it's a, it's a good time. Uh, we touched on this uh, for a second, but Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. Uh, John Carpenter's iconic uh, Snake Plissken must break into New York City, which is now a prison and rescue the president. That's the premise. Uh, Metal Gear Solid borrowed really heavily from this. And I feel like I feel like Phantom Liberty does too, but in a really kind of interesting way that almost feels like a simultaneous nod to, you know, the stuff that Metal Gear introduced to games, but also like the, you know, the story of this and the tone. And, you know, the first one, uh, Escape from New York, is, is a little little bit rough around the edges. It's got some B-movie energy to it. Killer soundtrack, very good. Uh, Escape from LA is like kind of the same story and with a lot more 90s attitude. Brian, you mentioned the basketball scene kind of a yeah. goofy movie but it's it's also really fun it's still very it's a blast it's not as good obviously but it's it's super fun uh moving on dread a much more recent movie that is just kick-ass i feel like a lot of a lot of gamers have gravitated towards this and everyone who does always says it's really good it's just like the raid and it's very much like the raid except it's set in a futuristic cyberpunk based on the long-running comic series with dread and it's uh it's a good time i really i really like this movie it is it is gnarly as hell uh, and then finally, if you're into history, uh, check out Kowloon Walled City, which is an actual real life, or was rather, a cyberpunk enclave in Hong Kong that was just this massive uh, blocks wide section of buildings that kind of grew together and became this like ungoverned space where there were just 
it was like ruled by gangs and like people did their own dentistry and there was a bunch of drug abuse and prostitution and weird stuff going on, but also a bunch of normal people just lived there. So kind of like Dogtown in that sense. Uh, but it's one of those things that just, you know, did exist in our real world that seems like something straight out of Blade Runner or Stray or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's um, worth looking at. It's It was uh, demolished in like the early 90s. So there's not really a ton of, you know, high res video of it. And also people weren't about to go crawling around in there with camcorders, but pretty cool. So there you go. Anyway, thank you for coming to my cyberpunk TED talk. That's some cool stuff to check out. There's lots more. <laughs> thank you, Max. You guys want to talk about Resident Evil? A little, a little nod to Blade Runner at the end there, but yeah, there's, there's a couple of Blade Runner movies you should also watch. They're very good in case mm -hmm. you haven't seen them. Um, yeah, so uh, Resident Evil 4. Wow. What a game. What a game. Glad I got, finally got to talk about it on the show. Um, <laughs> so Resident Evil 4 uh, is, what, 20-something, 19 years old at this point. Um, got a remake this year. This year has been so good for games that maybe you forgot that. But uh, Capcom did an awesome thing where they decided, hey, we're going to put out that last missing part of Resident Evil 4, uh, Ada Wong's side story, Separate Ways, which was, uh, I believe, originally part of the PS2 version of the game, not on the GameCube version of the game. Mm -hmm. That was sort of like the, hey, it's coming to PS2. You know, this is what you get for, for people who want to double dip. You get this extra stuff. And then when the game got ported to Wii and 360 and Wii and everything else, um, all of that stuff is in one complete package. But... Uh, when Resident Evil 4 remake launched this year, it told Leon Kennedy's entire story through this uh, village to save the president's daughter. A lot of, you know, president saving on this episode this week. Um, and uh, everyone was like, this is a fantastic game. You guys went above and beyond on everything. Where's mercenaries mode? And Capcom's like, give us a few weeks. And they're like, here's mercenaries mode. And they were like, well, where's uh, separate ways? Where's the Ada Wong stuff? And they're like, uh, yeah, we're working on it. Um, uh, no comment. And then recently they were just like, oh, uh, by the way, it's it's out in a few days. It's done. And uh, oh, P.S. It's 10 bucks. And I think some of us were like, 10 bucks, huh? Oh, that's interesting for like a two or three hour game. But, you know, this is them kind of buttoning up all the leftover details on on Resident Evil 4, one of the best games of the year. I, I, I did an entire video this year about how this is the best video game remake ever made. I stand by that more than ever now. And so mm -hmm. I picked up uh, assignment or, uh, Separate Ways basically the moment it dropped. And uh, which was, it was kind of crap because like that I had slept like crap the night before and done therapy that morning. I had a long conversation with my therapist about how I need to work on getting seven or eight hours of sleep every single night. She's like, this is what you can do to circumvent that. And you know, here's some breathing exercises and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, thanks. Great notes. Awesome. Then separate ways came out 9 p.m. That, that night and I stayed up until like 2 a.m. playing. So sorry, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you next week. But uh, what separate ways does is if you've played Resident Evil 4 uh, and you, you're, you're kind of an uninitiated on this or you need a, a little refresher, separate ways tells Ada Wong's story coinciding with what's happening with uh, Leon S. Kennedy through the events of Resident Evil 4. Um, she's a classic Resident Evil character and she's been kind of kicking around for a long time. And in this version of the game, uh, she is basically interacting with stuff that you saw Leon do or going, you know, kind of circumventing or diagonally around uh, environments that you played through already in Resident Evil 4. What's cool about that is that uh, Ada Wong has her own distinct moveset. She's got a grappling hook. She's like a little bit quicker, a little bit more dynamic. Her humor is a lot more dry and less kind of like, she's more sardonic and less campy, I would say. Mm -hmm. And uh, digging into this campaign, it just kept 
going. Like it's, I think my playtime doing all of the side missions and everything, you know, the challenges and stuff like that was somewhere between like nine and 10 hours, which is crazy. Cause I swear like the original separate ways was like two or three hours, maybe four, if you did everything, but they added a whole bunch of really cool details here. There's a bunch of like really awesome little nods to Resident Evil canon, like that weird things like Leon Kennedy loses his jacket at one point in Resident Evil 4. It's never actually addressed it. He's just not wearing mm -hmm. it at one point. And here, like, there's like one of those little merchant challenges where you have to find it. And it's just like one of those little details that I just loved. Um, what's also cool here is they added a whole bunch of new encounters. Uh, a while back on, and you can see one of them right here, like the, the full gondola thing has returned. I did a video on Beyond when, when Resident Evil 4 Remake first came out of like, you know, obviously gushing with praise over how much I love this game, but you know, here's a bunch of things that were missing from the remake. Uh, one of which was obviously the laser hallway, the U5 boss fight with that weird, you know, kind of like a nasty scorpion man. And then there was the, uh, you know, the whole gondola ride where you're, you're shooting Spanish villagers and they're like, ah, da, da, and they're falling down the cliffs and stuff like that. All of that is back here. So like they basically took all of the stuff, all the loose ends that were dangling over from the the end of Resident Evil 4 and they threw them in this nine hour long campaign that has new boss fights, whole new ways to interact, uh, a bunch of new like cool toys to play with, uh, great challenges and stuff like that. And if you play the original game and you did all the you know uh, optional challenges that were kind of in the margins, like use a gun a certain amount of times, go through the whole game without beating the merchant. Uh, I know Jada like crushed through all of that stuff. I was, I was in a Slack channel with her before the game <laughs> came out uh, back a couple months ago. And just basically talking about all of this it's all of that is yeah. back here they added all this new stuff so like this is like genuinely i Man. think one of the best expansions i've ever seen in gaming especially for the price like for ten dollars to get a nine hour story that has multiple difficulty settings tons of optional side content tons of optional challenges and just like all these new cinematics boss fights just merchant dialogue they remixed all the music in the game like it just keeps going i just love it so so much and i'm just really really happy that this game got the love it deserves from the people who made it because this game feels like it was made by people who loved the original resident evil 4 they made us this special treat this year and i'm just so happy it's here that is resident so evil awesome 4. that is Heck so good yeah. to hear man i like i love that it also like it's I, that is the best case scenario for that where you know, you have, you understand there have to be some concessions when you do a massive sprawling remake of what was already a massive sprawling game and you completely yeah. modernize every aspect of it. They're going to have to cut some content. Surprise, it's actually DLC. Yeah. Like what a wonderful, like just a, like a psych, like here it is. Enjoy. It's great. And like, like uh, PSA on PSN right now, this game is under 40 bucks. And so like, you know, with that yep. and, and the expansion, you can get the full thing for $50, which is $10 less. And they're selling the iPhone version for more, and it's absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and it doesn't have touchscreen overlay, and your 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 PS5 probably won't explode when you're playing it. But uh, I digress. Well, like, moral a, of the story: deal. Uh, there's two, yeah, two games that just got a huge, massive bunch of updates. They're already good games. They're better games now, and uh, they're they're weirdly on sale. So that's an option. Uh, folks, thank you for hanging out. Is there anything you want to plug, Jada? Anything going on on your end? Uh, just, uh, we've been doing, so I've been, uh, pioneering a bunch of new articles for community reviews. We have, you know, users on IGN, you can go and review your favorite games and give them whatever score you think that they deserve. So, you know, you think Resident Evil 4, uh, separate ways, I don't know if that's going to be in there, but, uh, if you think the Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty, um, you know, DLC is a 10 out of 10 for you, go to IGN and leave a review there. Yeah. Ryan, anything you want to plug? 
No, I'm I'm working on a bunch of stuff right now that'll be out soon. But um, yeah, go play Resident Evil Four. Sweet, Never Matt. Goes. You got lots of features coming down the shoot. What's going on? Uh, yeah, you know they're they're coming, but you know for <laughs> for everyone else, just check out the Phantom Liberty review that I wrote. I felt like I rambled a bit, but that has all of my thoughts cleanly edited and well written. So uh, we that's what we that do out. here. We we ramble a bit. It happens. Yeah, uh, and then. Yeah, keep an eye out for the big games of October dropping sometime soon. That's the big monthly video I worked on. They put out too many games in October, and I have an issue with it. Uh, on that note, thank you all for joining me. It's really nice to have some cool games to talk about, and it's oh, nice yeah. to have yeah. some cool people to talk about cool games with. Thank you all for watching and listening at home, and we'll see you next week. Beyond. 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 Resident Evil. Hell yeah. Or Hi, I'm Essie, one of the hosts of Bitches on Comics, the most welcoming place for LGBTQ plus folks and women to chat comics, fiction, and pop culture. Bitches are both wanted and encouraged on our podcast. We speak with amazing guests about the media they've created, critiqued, and loved. And you don't have to just take our word for the great time we're having over here. We've been named a Best Comic Book Podcast by several publications, including Book Riot, The Mary Sue, and Comic Book Herald. So tune in and listen to us talk with your faves like Carmen Maria Machado, Amy Chu, Mari Naomi, Anthony Oliveira, and many, many others. Our whole goal is to include more folks in the comic book and pop culture world and to help new readers find comics and speculative books they'll love, with no shade for being new. You can find Bitches on Comics wherever you get your podcasts, and you can learn more at bitchesoncomics.com.